a very good day to y'all welcome to the channel today i'm recording an episode with tayo is that how i pronounce it correctly i must apologize off the bat because i had a conversation with karen from the meaning code and i pronounced it tayo because that's how i saw it written uh most i think 80 percent of people pronounce it tayo and that's also fine by me i'm not that fussy okay awesome um, I think I think even within my family, I've got both Tayo and Tayo. So you don't <laughs> have a preference. Either I don't actually, because um, it's the full name is Timmy Tayo Falai, so it's just half of a name. So say whichever right. way you've rest your tongue. That's beautiful though. I I like Tayo. It sounds a bit more authentic. I feel like we uh, we Americanize everything. Like I market myself as Lucas nowadays. But it's not how you pronounce my name at all. <laughs> how do you pronounce it? Lucas. Lucas. Yeah. Very good. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I came across Tayo um, on Karen's channel, The Meaning Code, which I think a lot of people will be familiar with. And I really liked his story. I liked his ideas. And um, I liked the way that, that Tayo entered into conversation with Karen. It was very sincere and in good faith. So... Tayo, why don't you tell us a bit about how you grew up, a bit about your story? Yeah, um, we were just speaking earlier about the importance of story. Uh, mine, people are endlessly complicated and trying to succinct your story can be a bit more difficult. So I am, um, start with my parents, always the easiest, easiest place to start. My dad is Nigerian. My both my parents are Nigerian, but my dad was born in England. Um, because my grandparents had the foresight to uh make sure the to have the last their last two children, my dad and his little sister have a British pa- uh, waiting for them to get pretty British passports, which came in very handy because they passed away whilst my parents whilst my dad was still young. And the my dad's oldest older sister sort of became the matriarch of the family and I ended up living with her actually because my parents broke up if they were ever together when I was around five years old my dad moved to back to England my mom was still in Nigeria but my mom's also got um I am on my mom's side I'm the last born on my dad's side I'm the first born so my mom on my mom's side I've got six or seven older siblings whereas on my dad's side I've got three younger younger siblings so um very complicated uh union I was birthed into so to speak but for the most part no complaints because I got to I grew up with my auntie and my uncle who were uh, my uncle was an elder and my auntie was a prophet uh so church was very important I was introduced to the stories of the bible very very young and growing up in Nigeria uh electricity is not 24 hours you get you get an hour to a day maybe if you're lucky and it's quite sporadic so I spent a lot of time reading and I really really uh enjoyed the biblical stories there was a there was a book given by the Jehovah's Witnesses called book of the big stories in the bible so daniel uh oh am i still there it's gone blurry yeah you you were lost for a bit what was the title of the book uh my 
my book of Bible stories. Yeah. I think it's what it was and it had uh, it was a graphic novel of all of the big stories in the Bible go, going from Genesis to Revelation. Now with the JW lens to it, but for the most part, the images, the stories, I, I was captivated by them. So I'm very um biblical literate in that way, as far as the stories are concerned, because most of my childhood was spent rereading those stories. So that's how I grew up. And around the age of 12, I left Nigeria and moved in with my dad in England. He had remarried and had uh, my little brother by then. So I moved in with my dad, my stepmom, and my half-brother at 12 years old, going from Nigeria to England, which a lot of cognitive dissonance happens there because you're moving from, uh, I, I was moving from a very communal area where the neighbours all knew each other's business to a not always helpful degree, but it was communal. When it say takes a village, it really did take a village. Uh, my the neighbor feels just as entitled to discipline any misbehaving child as as the parent do. Uh, so it's that sort of environment that I grew up in. To one where, uh, we barely know our neighbors over here. Like I, uh, people don't go outside. Kids don't go outside to play the way I I did back then. So there was a lot of cognitive distance. But then I found uh internet which. You can, <laughs> as a as a as a twelve year old, thirteen year old boy, you can you can imagine what the internet had to offer and how how much I was just giving giving to that word to to an expert. So, yeah, um, I've been pretty much Christian of different degree most of my life, and in twenty twenty was when I discovered this little corner, and that was off the back of the. Peugeot and Peterson conversation mm. which I think quite a lot of people resonated with because at the Chino conference where I met Karen Wong uh, a lot of people or quite a significant amount of people mentioned that that conversation was their entry point oh, yeah. to the little corner and at least to make them stay in the little corner even if they were previously aware of it yeah. so that's what brought me in and at that point of my faith I was um <laughs> I was Christian, but also I was spiritual, but not religious. So in that uh, way of anti-institutions, think the, the church is pretty much past this. Uh, it's used by date and uh, the best way to be Christian was to be Christian alone, mm. which uh, spending time listening to Paul Vanderclay and Peugeot, they'll tell you to go to church enough time. Yeah. <laughs> I think after about the, un- the undraft time of, them te- of me listening to them say, go to church, I took on the challenge and went back to church and yeah, I've stayed ever since. What is the church you go to now? Uh well, the church I did go to was King's Church. Oh yeah. That was when I was in Manchester, but I recently moved from Manchester back to London. Okay. And I'm attending a, a church called Streatham Church London. And what types of churches are these? Are they similar to each other? Uh in a way, yeah, uh, mostly sort of non-denominational, mm. but uh, the King's Church is an affiliate of uh, denomination denominations, at least, uh, because they're all independent churches just under a similar umbrella. And I think the Church of Christ, which is quite a big, they've got loads of different types of churches under that umbrella, but yeah. it's mostly Pentecostal, 
or Protestant denomination. Okay. I wanted to ask you, um, as a child, you said you were pretty immersed into the Bible. So you read a lot of the stories. Is there one particular story that you like the most? And has that changed over time? All right. Oh, that, that's, that is a great question. Um, I think as a, thinking back to, I remember resonating, uh, or resonating more like being wowed a lot by the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, in the in the fire pit. The, the three Jewish men that refused to bow and then got thrown in the fire. And then uh, mainly because the, there's a phrase that they say, which is, we believe that our God can save us, mm. but even if it doesn't, we still won't bow to your to your idol. <laughs> yeah. And I, I found that so cool. I found that was like the coolest thing to say in the face of danger. Yeah. So I think as a kid, a lot of like the Daniel stories a lot yeah. I resonated uh, I reading because of the illustrations, like Daniel ripping the mouth of the light, all of those I thought was cool. But um going moving on, uh the book in the Bible that I think it's if not my favorite, but it's Concerning the top three, I, I was like a teen, a young teen, uh, going asking, going through the teen angst, whatever, all of the hormones, all of just processing, trying to be a grown up. But uh, I remember reading Ecclesiastes and the version that I read had this phrase of everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Mm. And I love that image of chasing the wind and just the entire verse was something I didn't think was in the Bible. This mm. wasn't in my book, of, uh, my book of stories of the Bible. It was an existential plea with just someone dealing with some form of nihilism, like just genuine ex- existentialism, which yeah. I've always resonated with. I've always been more of an existential thinker in whatever way that means. So reading Ecclesiastes made me feel seen by the Bible, made me feel like the the darker thoughts that I have sometimes can also be found in scripture. So that became my favorite book. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as Bible steady myself. I grew up, uh, we read the Bible every night uh, after dinner, but I can't say that everything sticks, you know, and I've tried to read it now all for myself, which I did, but still it's not, it's not an integrated thing and you don't live through the stories when you just read it alone. Um, so it's a bit different, but I really like the the first story you mentioned because yeah it it reminds me a lot of something that I heard recently uh, actually on the Joe Rogan podcast where they were d- uh, describing execution of these uh, of these Christians. I don't know exactly what the context was historically speaking, but that they were being executed and they were praying for the people executing them like. I hope you're forgiven, you know, <laughs> like I pray you'll be forgiven. And just speaking about the executioners, like those people are never going to sleep again. Like imagine. So that's a, that's really the most badass like stance you can take. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't it? It's like a flood inverse. Yeah. I agree. yeah. Like you are like, <laughs> you're messed up right now. Good luck. All right. Well, there was a lot in in your story. I want to go back a bit to to family, because um, you said you couldn't mm-hmm. complain. You couldn't complain. You know, like you got a lot. Um, I think for a lot of people hearing your story, they're like, "Wow, this is uh, 
this is such a tough way of growing up. You don't experience it this way at all. Did you have times where you did experience it this way? How do you look back on it now? And how did you experience it then? Yeah. Um. So when I was staying with my with my auntie, uh, my dad's older sister, I was staying with their family. Um, they had four children. All the youngest was eight years older than me, and I was uh I think uh, two years after I joined them, my dad's young younger sister. So my dad and my and his younger sister both moved back to the UK in two thousand, and. I went to stay with my auntie straight away in 2000. And I think a year or so later, my dad's little sister's daughter, so my cousin, came to join us. So there were six children in the house. Four belonged to my uh, my uncle and my auntie, where the biological children. Then there was me and my cousin. Uh, I remember sort of being the favorite of the of me and my between me and my cousin within the family. And I think that was because even as a kid, we were living in just deep poverty at times where there was no like there's no nowhere, no one knows where the next meal was coming from. Where the daily <laughs> the Lord's prayer of asking for daily bread became really, really important. So um on those times I remember being very unbothered i just i was a very simple kid let me out to go play football when i uh and yeah that that was pretty much it just give me let me out to go play football and let, make sure i've got books to read when i'm when i'm stuck inside those were the needs that i have uh, when there's food fine we'll eat if there's no food there's no food that's how it so i think for that reason because i was a very unproblematic and unbothered child i was the favorite between me and my cousin because she was i think a little bit more fussy in the way like dealing with the difficulty of things yeah but i think naively and even as i'm as i've grown older i'm very low in negative emotions mm. so i process difficult things sort of naively easily yeah and i don't often realize just how dire the situations i'm in is yeah so i think that plays a role all right uh, and also in but reasons why i worry is People from broken homes don't get the chance to grow up in a stable home. When my parents broke up, I went into probably the most stable environment I could have been in. Oh, yeah. If I had stayed with either of my parents, I would have been with a single parent. But no, I stayed in a two-parent home and sort of I was raised as one of their kids. So that gave me a stability that I think I'm grateful for compared to other children from broken homes. Yeah. And you didn't have what kids have today, I think, which it's a lot of um, broken homes and it's also phones, iPads, TV shows, not a lot of interaction, not a lot of human human connection, let's say. So so in many ways, I think. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of distractions available to kids now that I didn't have back then that I'm grateful for. Do you still play football at all? Yes, yes, I do. Nice. I mean, even 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 at Chino, I think by the second day I was at Walmart shopping for a football, a <laughs> soccer ball, as they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recently started playing again as well. It's been uh, it's been such a joy. I played throughout my life. 
recreationally and sometimes uh when i was later like 15 years old i think i started playing in a team that was uh that was different but now i'm playing like with the team it's like 40 people but the teams change every week and it's so much fun it's like 30 year olds, 40 year olds. i am speaking of activities that are to do instead of looking at screens playing football has helped me immensely just as a person yeah um and integrating from nigeria to uk football played a massive role uh i remember the the first time i was sort of i felt like i was seen at my new school yeah was uh at the playground playing football that we played a game called nutmeg rush in the uk which is if you put the ball through someone's leg, if you do a panel, um, everyone gets to beat up the person yeah, that, that I know through their leg. I played it. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, and I was, I was no, I was, um, I, I was seen putting the ball through someone's leg, and that person got beat up, and then uh, someone came up to me and was like, "Okay, can you put the ball through that person's leg?" So I'm targeting someone that they want to, they want to have a fight with, so to speak. <laughs> I remember doing that. And from that moment, I was sort of welcomed into like the, yeah. the the club, so to speak. So footballs helped me making friends. And if I was in Los Angeles, a uh, different country, I was staying with Jacob, who's someone that's done in this little corner. And he and I were going for a walk. I saw someone playing football by having training by himself. I was like, Jacob, I have to join him. I can't resist. Yeah. So it, it helps with me uh, making friends, integrating myself in different communities. Football's played a massive, massive role in that. That's so yeah, beautiful. sports is good. Yeah. I think that's foundational, right? Like play, Peterson always speaks about this. Like I really notice it now, now that I see it, now that I've like educated myself a bit on what play actually can do. I'm playing football now and I'm seeing like how much it helps just set, setting the relationship between people and and civilizing uh, each other basically in that process it's uh it's very special and I think people don't have play a lot as adults you know so um, so that's very yeah. nice yeah. Um, I wanted to speak a bit more about family for you uh, what does it mean to you right now family Did you get the yeah? Oh, one yeah. Second. I'm sorry. Just I think it's my, it's definitely my connection. I think because it's not telling ah. me my signal. I'm just gonna switch over to your full jig real quick. And yeah. See if that helps. Take your time. I can just cut it out. It's fine. Yeah, it's weird because it told me mine as well. There we go. Okay. We good? Yes. Awesome. Oh, that sounds weird. I think that's a lot more stable. Let me just find the phone. Yeah, we're good. Amazing. Yeah, so coming back. We're good? Mm-hmm. We can cut it enough. All right. Awesome. So coming back to the question, I wanted to ask you what family means to you today. Oh, you have no idea how 
how deep a question that is, especially for me. Um, I've I'm sort of seen as the I've cast myself. No one's put me in the role, but I've put myself in the role of sort of the black sheep of the family in my uh both my immediate family and also um external family. So because like I did talk earlier, I'm sort of I'm the only child my parents had together, but they were never together. Whereas my other siblings all have siblings that are full siblings. So I'm the outsider in that in that sense. But also in the sense of the being for example being in this little corner i couldn't even begin to explain to my family the things that i find salient in this little corner and expect that it will make sense to them so i've always found things in interesting that are slightly weird to my to my family mm-hmm. because there's a there's a privilege that i've got that i'm very aware of that everyone else is also aware of that I'm not making full use of. And that's simply by being in Europe, being mm. in, or not, by, I've got cousins who are still playing football, hoping to get signed by a team outside of Nigeria so they can get out of Nigeria. Because yeah. that's sort of the, that's the strategy. So family to me means responsibility because I, I have to look after not just my mom who's still in Nigeria, but my cousins that I grew up with, you are still there. Um, but family also means that that's a that responsibility part I, I think I failed at miserably for the most part. Um I've only started taking that seriously the last two years or so. Uh, what made you take it seriously? <clears throat> what made me take it seriously is the second my second answer to what family means to me, which would be uh, my faith. Mm. So there's an idea in Christianity of the church being a body. And I like that image of a body where everyone's got different roles for a family. And when I began to take my faith seriously, I began to take, uh, okay, so I am a Christian. I do want to live more my life to reflect the life of a Christian, whatever that means. Now I'm still not quite sure what that means, but what 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 I do know is it starts with love, and it starts with I know the gifts I've been given. I have to give that back to others, and so that's you can see how that will lead me to take my responsibility more seriously, take my privilege. Uh, more seriously and using what my privilege affords me to uh, try to help those that don't that aren't as privileged so family means church to me now because a lot of the people are at church I consider family yeah uh, it's our community that's our buddy that I like to think of as a family well that's a it's a big family to take care of it's beautiful I think family is foundational for faith as well. I don't know where I heard it discussed. I think Fafeki discussed this, that the the loss of the family is also correlated to the loss of 
of faith and it, it makes so much sense it's such a a deep level of of connectedness when you're with family and that 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 love you speak about that that's i think what what glues it together um i really recognize it in my own life where i got it but i never gave it back and now i just want to give it back as much as possible trying to do uh, i watched your conversation with your dad that was beautiful man thanks was, man thank you so much um yeah I uh I owe my parents everything. Like uh, they give you so much and they don't even expect anything back and then you know finally having this opportunity is uh is very special. I wanted to ask you what you think your part to play is in this world. I think you're already alluding to it a little bit because I always think about this question for myself. I'm a young person so I'm always like what 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 am I supposed to be doing? think i'm getting closer to it with with this channel what do you think that is for you have you thought about um yes given that that's a that's a that's a that's a, that's a good question and a, and a very important one and one that i've been working on with a few members of my estuaries it's one that keeps coming up in estuary meetings that in manchester estuary meetings anyway uh, the best, the best I've come up with is okay. So I'll flesh out what happened in twenty twenty a little bit more. So in twenty twenty, I add this. I watched a Peugeot, uh, Peterson conversation, and I was like, oh yes, Peterson's completely right. The church is not doing it enough. But then I listened to Peugeot, and, it's, and he's explaining a version of Christianity that just sounds foreign to me, but also makes the most sense more yeah. sense than any other visual Christianity I've ever heard before. So I remember I left a comment in the I left a comment in the in that, that video, which I rarely do because I don't know what to comment. Uh, the comment was where can I find people who speak like this, who have who have conversations like this, something like that. And lo and behold, I found Paul. But throughout all of this, watching these conversations going up, there was like a spiritual I don't know what word to use, like transformation taking place in my heart. Well, I felt like I was wrestling with God. And the question seems to circle around this question of what does it look like to be a Christian? And I've I've been Christian most of my life. I've had Christian transformation twice in my life previously where I was like, oh, I'm crying. This is God, you're everything. And each time it just sort of, peters out in a way and yeah. end up in places where yeah so this one was was going to be different i felt it was going to be different and the reason it was as well as finding all of this i discovered of uh, nt right who is it was like an archbishop in the uk and i watched a few of his sermons where he is where he was explaining what the resurrection meant and out the resurrection was the beginning of recreation. And being a Christian is being invited into that process of recreation. That blew my mind because I was oh I was aware of the you die, you go to hell or heaven sort of narrative of Christianity. And it was painting a picture that was more participatory mm. in that creation process yeah that I found 
very very enticing so i wanted like to okay how do i how do i participate what what do i do and i sort of alluded to it earlier the in my spiritual just wrestling with god moment so to speak the only answer that i just kept getting back was love just love 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 i remember uh, i was like okay that means i was searching for uh care care jobs like that's the most loving thing i can do just give up my job currently and go help the, the less vulnerable the people that are not looked after by society um that wasn't it uh that wasn't the road that god well because i applied for a few things nothing really came through of it and it just it didn't feel like the right thing so um this is a long-winded winded answer to your question. I, I love it. It's to do with this wrestling with this question of purpose that I've I've been doing since I re- rediscovered my faith in this form. Mm. And the right now, um, there's the the story that comes up in my brain is the story of the parable of the talents, and every the different amount of talents given to different amount of people. And I felt previously I was um I was the one hiding my talent and not wanting to use it, just I didn't give it back as it was given. And I feel like in this season of my life, my purpose is to stop hiding the talent and start using it for the benefit of others. So I think the purpose questions changes over time. I think the constant answer is love. Yeah. But how that is applied manifest. Definitely. I hear you. I hear you. And you can follow it. Like you say, like you can apply to something. If it doesn't work, it's a, it's a sign that, that it's some, something else. But the the main idea is clear. Yeah. So however that will manifest itself, I think uh, I think you're following it very well. So thank you. I, for that. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> trying to. That's all we can do, right? I mean, I don't think exactly. we, we will ever really get there. But we're like, oh, yes, I'm doing exactly what I have to do. I think that's really the beauty of um, moving closer toward an ideal or Christ, whatever you want to call it, that, that is never ending, that search. And because it's never ending, it's so valuable. I love Karen's um, analogy of the asymptotes. It just yeah. comes getting closer and closer and closer and closer, but not quite there yet, at least not until... No. The next. No, and I, that that motivates me. I think that's how how dopamine works as well. Like you, you get more when you're moving toward it than actually having the ice cream itself. You know. Like, yeah. <laughs> <you're just laughs> yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Yeah, that's exactly how dopamine works. It's that yeah. reach. Yeah, I love that. All right, so I'd like to take a bit of a turn back because we've been discussing estuary, this little corner some names that people might not be familiar with. I'd like to just start with the start. Um, I want to see if we can try to define this little corner. So why don't you start and I'll see if I can add anything. Yeah, um, this little corner is not an easy, it's not easy to pin down. Firstly, I don't think it's a corner. It's more like a network of uh mostly youtube activities and mm. youtube personalities centered around the uh, meaning making uh 
part of what part of our I'm currently making a documentary about speakers going on tied to this. Part of what I take from this from the little corner is it introduces a way of having conversation that's more what I think we vaguely call Philea or Sophia than Philea or Nike or something like that. So, so it's the... more less confrontational yeah. and less of a argumentative form of conversation and it actually prov- uh, encourages listening mm. listening to the person that you have a conversation with and then responding rather than listening to respond you're listening first then responding um i another as, as that's the sort of the broad definition my interest lies in what i think cw is another personality coined the Christian diaspora of the little corner. And it's uh, a segment of the this network that are Christians or Christians, heretics, who are, for one reason or the other, don't feel at home in the current Christ- state of Christendom, whichever way that might be. Now, that's a lot of Protestant people, even Catholic and Orthodox. They are making home in this, creating us an ecumenical sort of diaspora where you've got Protestants, Catholics, Orthodox, having conversations and treating each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a part of this little corner that I find very interesting. How do you see it? I'm very curious to see. I I always like the idea of the meaning crisis that, that connects a bit. Um across the little corner because I think Viveki plays such a central role um, that, that that almost can't be neglected. So the idea is basically, I think you, network is a very good word for it, actually. So there, there's a couple of main figures. We've got Paul van der Klei, who is, uh, is he a, what, would you call him a pastor? What is the... Yeah, he's a pastor from the CRC denomination. Yeah. So we've got Paul van der Klei, who's very prominent. Kind of a lot of people come in through Jordan Peterson, who's a very big YouTube personality, who's not, I don't think, explicitly a Christian, but I don't, I think he's brought more people to Christianity than most any. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Um, then you have John Verveke, who is a cognitive scientist who had a lot of trouble with Christianity, specifically fundamentalist Christianity. Um, and he sees answers to this crisis in meaning um, in other in other paths like neo neoplatonism and um, even Buddhism, I would say, all sorts of practices. And then you have Jonathan Pajot, who's an Orthodox Christian, who is I think extremely captivating, who really represents the the Orthodox viewpoint in such a such an enticing and interesting manner. It's like I think a lot of people listen to him thinking, I don't understand you, but you're making so much sense that I just want to keep listening. And he That's my experience. <laughs> yeah. And he offers like answers to questions that that people in 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 Christian circles rarely had answers to. And you can just keep on asking with him. Um so there is a lot of Christianity in this little corner, but there is also definitely, I would say, room for for others um, who really cannot identify with that. And I think the overarching 
theme here, like you said, is meaning making. And yeah, people in this little corner, they follow a lot of these thinkers. They have conversations with each other, which is, I think, where Estuary comes in. And I know you are involved with Estuary more so than I am. So what is what is Estuary exactly? Where does the name come from and what does it look like practically? Yeah, um, before before I answer that, just really quickly, I want to add on to that. I I made a I made a comment after the Chino conference, uh, that sort of surprised a few of the people that I was with, and it was that John Bavake might be the most important uh figure in this little corner. Mm. I think it's for the reason you still alluded to. He owes the space for people that don't feel like they belong anywhere for the most part people that are still searching and i think this generation is filled with mostly seekers and people that are still searching very few of us feel like we're at home in the place that we're at and the vacay holds that space for those people to explore what he calls his ecology of practices so i agree with your with your assessment um estuary is the birth birth child of john van dunk and paul van der clay Paul van der Klee is the preacher um, from, he's from Sacramento, the CRC picture. He's prominent in the little corner. John Van Dunk Lesso is a friend of Paul van der Klee. He's also in the CRC, so he's a Christian. But he's got a very, very interesting story that's uh, detailed. Just, uh, he was a pastor. He's no longer a pastor. Mm. Uh, he's, got, uh, he's got a lot of things that most orthodox christian might a lot of these that most orthodox christians might look outside that so the estuary is the idea that churches should be a place where people come to to have meaningful conversation without having the worry of being preached at or being or uh, having to convert on the spot just a space for people with questions to have conversations Paul Vanderclay had been doing a lot of randos conversations where uh, random people on the internet emails him and he just have a conversation with him. And he said that that's more, he's had more meaningful conversation, he had more meaningful conversation online than he did sitting, staying at his church where no one would come to the church thinking this is a place to ask the deep questions. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's what well, it is, it's a conversation protocol. It's a protocol that helps people in a group have conversation. And the intent is, he described it as sort of the courtyard in front of the church. So it's not come in and, you know, have communion with us and you have to believe what we believe. Or it's come in and ask your questions. You don't need to be Christian. You, you don't even need to like Christians. But if you've got questions about meaning, there is a meaning crisis, as Vivek is very clearly alluded to and churches should have a role to play in a meaning crisis. And estuary is uh, of a way the church can participate in at least the conversation of the meaning crisis. Yeah. And I think the term itself, it means where salt and sweet water meet. Yeah. So the idea, uh, you get a mix of people, let's say, from different. Exactly okay. right. I hadn't heard the, the connection with the church yet before oh let's see if we lost them you still here yep yeah yeah awesome. the last thing you said. Sorry. i hadn't heard the 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 connection with the church yet 
because I didn't know that estuary was intrinsically linked to 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 churches. It isn't. It isn't uh intrinsically linked mm. to churches. But in its in its conception, uh it was uh that was part of the our estuary came to be. Okay. Now I'm part of the estuary leadership leadership network that Van Dunk hosts and it is mostly Christians, but there are a lot of non-Christians or even uh, people that work Christian are deconstructed, but are still trying to have com- meaningful conversations. Yeah. So the Telus the, the is, it's a protocol to encourage this conversation in a group. So it can be used anywhere, but as far as churches, it's a tool that churches can use to get involved in the meaning crisis conversation. Okay, I hear you. I uh, I have an estuary here in the in the Netherlands. It's very small, uh, and I don't know how you experience your estuary, but for me, it's such a it's such a weird thing to actually see some of these people in real life coming out of their um, their little basements or wherever. It's like people that have been watching the same YouTube videos and then just talking about it. It's so weird because same oh with God. you. We have such an overlap, you know, in in influences. <laughs> It's, it uh, was it was the first the first um estuary meetings I hosted I did off the back of Van der Clay and Van der Clay's uh, presence it was in England and I sort of marketed it as a uh estuary meeting but Van der Clay will be there so in a way it was kind of quasi PVK meetup yep. group and it was very strange because prior to that. I thought I was pretty much the only person in the country that was watching all of these characters and then watching all of these people emerge from the shadows, like you said, like sort of crawl out of the YouTube basement. Like, I yeah. need to, need to. <laughs> it, was, it was so, it was so cool. And now uh, some of those people are like, some of my clothes, I'm very close with. Um, yeah, it's been really cool. That's very special. Do you find that? there's largely agreements in, in your views um, or do you, are uh, you, sorry. Yeah. In the Manchester estuary, which has been the one that's been the most thriving. I, I was the only Christian in the group. So oh. in terms of worldviews, very different worldviews are, uh, but it was still, there were the Manchester where there were a lot of people that were paying attention to the conversation in this little corner as we call it so there was some overlap there because we've been watching similar uh characters and similar personalities on youtube but in terms of what we believe in practice very different which makes for way more interesting conversation yeah like you said the idea of estuary is salt water and freshwater meeting it's not just our pool of fresh water but having each other on the things they agree on yeah i don't like that either i i really I used to fear um, speaking with people that look at the world fundamentally differently than I do. And now I, I quickly get bored if I, if I have the same life experience as another person or if I believe exactly the same thing. So actually, I love speaking with people that I disagree with because there's always something to learn and something to teach. And yeah, I do hope that Estuary gets more different perspectives, um, more challenges, let's say. Oh, man. Um, I the last estuary um I'm looking to start. Well, I've already started an estuary in London, but at Speaker's Corner, and boy was that a collection of very very different and strong opinions and worldviews. Yeah. So that was that was 
it's challenging but like you said in the differences there's a lot of opportunity for learning yeah. and even if it's just updating my own ignorance about different worldviews that i've got lived in people that are participating and living that worldview are better informed about it than i would be so i can learn that from them at least i think it's important that it's a dialogue um and not a debate i think that can go wrong very quickly but when it's there, it's such a such a special experience, I think. So I, I yeah. So much, so much so that um this yesterday I spoke was going out. One of the one of the guys is a Jewish guy that participated was like, When's the next one? When's the next one? Because going from the debate stuff conversations that he's used to to a one where there's actual dialogue, like you said, there's a listening and yeah, it's it's very. I think that there's a thirst for it in the culture at large, because of the way communication is gone in the broader culture. So I think Estuary can play a huge role in that. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. I I was wondering where you think all of this is going because we're seeing like AI coming to the picture. People are losing their jobs. People are because I know for Vicky said that he thinks theology will be the most important. Uh, discipline in the next decade and so I was wondering like estuary this little corner I think it's becoming more prominent people are thinking about these questions where do, where do you think this is going yourself I think oh that, that is such a great question and one that's important to ask um, if we're going to keep participating in it well, one of one of the one of the things I learned very And moving from someone that was lurking. Sorry, I lost you for a little bit. My bad. Um, oh yeah, I, I was saying what one of the one of the lessons I've one of the things I've learned in moving from someone that was just at someone lurking and watching yeah. consume content to someone participating is that the different um participants, different characters have very different, not very, but different visions to what this little coder is doing. Um, but there is some places where there's agreements. So I don't think uh, where this little kind of goes will be off the back of uh, someone's intention, someone's got a vision and we'll all just follow it. I don't think that's the case. I think there are different visions of uh, finding similarities and following it. Um, I think, firstly, the, in my the three years now that I've been paying attention to the little corner, I've seen more people outside of Little Corner having conversations that's along the same line as this. Um, I think Joe Rogan's one that it's very interesting to watch the way his conversations are uh, is developing around the meaning crisis and faith and those sort of things. Yeah. I think Vicky on Rogan would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I I think there's a realization in the broader culture that something's wrong. That at least that that something is wrong. Uh, there is there's broken that there's brokenness in our communication, and there's uh they, that something is wrong. Now yeah. I think what they has been working on has been the diagnosis of what's wrong, and I think we're coming to a point where the little corner will provide answers to questions that a brother that a brother our culture is asking. Yeah. And that's where I say this is going. I don't say this remaining a niche uh, subsection of the internet for 
much for too long. Yeah. Uh, if uh, in terms of the look, the channels they might remain small, but the conversation and the the work that they're doing, the meaning crisis conversations, the uh Christian ecumenism conversations, the we've got a sick shout out to my brother Raj and the corner is like so all of this different the way all of these different parties can have communications first laughing is important that the fact that we're practicing dialogos i think is a feature that the brother culture desperately need because people on opposite sides of the culture world don't usually have places where they can have conversations with each other to just debates so i think that's one thing the local offers so i see it as uh, I think Viveki uses the term winning the culture. Mm. And I think that's that's what the this look at is training people that are that will be able to win the culture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really recognize what you're saying. I think a lot of people are asking themselves these questions. And I think that people are realizing that materialism is just not enough. Um and it's funny to see how that's because I was thinking about quantum physics. I'm going to speak about it, this with Karen tomorrow. Because um, basically, to, to go a bit back, like right now there's a really big trend of like multiverse theory and all these, all these theories to somehow make this life make sense. Because back in the day, the materialist paradigm was fine without multiverse theory. But then quantum physics came to the picture. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, short, long term, uh, long story short. We've got all these ridiculous ideas about what reality actually is. And people are like scratching their heads, like, what are we actually supposed to do with this? And I saw uh, the other day, there was an intelligent design person on Joe Rogan's show. And you see Rogan like completely change in his, in his views. Because I remember I've seen clips of Rogan like completely trashing Christianity. Like That's exactly what I was alluding to about his growth and the way his perception and understanding of spiritual yeah. is changing. I think if he gets Viveki on and like Peugeot after, would be like it would Peugeot. go crazy. Oh, Matteo Peugeot and Joe Rogan would be epic. Yeah, <laughs> I really just hope he gets it because Joe really is a materialist in many ways. Like he isn't, but he is in a way. Uh, I think it's difficult not to be a materialist yeah. in in the Western context. That's been the prevailing thought for at least throughout the nineteenth century till now. Yeah. I think that for me, it's still in my software. I spoke about this with my dad. Like it's my software and it's hard to kick it. Like I'm trying to view the world symbolically, but it's been so ingrained that you still think the world is particles and and, and the way that, that affects your worldview is crazy. It's like everything is almost determined, you know, and it's, it just doesn't I've, suffice. I'm currently listening to an audio book, Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, at yep. which Paul recommend and it's very uh it's it illuminates a lot of things you see just uh even at christians even me as a as a christian being a christian all my life just reading that being, oh you know i've pretty much been a secularist all my life that's that's been the frame that i was born into that's the frame in which i accepted my christianity into yeah. i just sort of box my faith into the secular secular frame and trying to break out of it like you said it's not an easy thing that oh. easier to default to the natural software it takes practice and years and years and years of relearning yeah unlearning and relearning yeah it's mm -hmm. uh but the funny thing is it's not just about 
secular people that don't have a religion. It's it's exactly for the atheist Christians that call themselves Christians, but don't realize that their entire faith is based on materialism. And it's, yeah, I think it's going to be relearning for so many people. Um, it's it's one of the most frustrating things that I'm observing at Speaker's Corner is I listen to both Christians and Muslims debate, but they debate within this narrow box of materialism of yeah. trying to which which one of them mechan- kind of mechanically disprove the other one. It's like, oh, you're using the wrong tools to play with these yeah. uh, matters. It's a losing game. And those are the people that talk to Sam Harris, you know. It's like, yes. <laughs> Like, no, no, that's that's exactly those are those are the people that I talk to the the seminaries, the materialist. Yeah, it's. I don't. I, it, it's very interesting though. I'm going from because I went from Chino, and then the week uh, the Sunday after I landed, I was a speaker's corner. Going from the conversation I was being at a Chino, where people of different faiths of different levels and different stages in that faith journey are having deep conversation deep respectful dialogues amongst amongst each other just anywhere you could go into different group and you would join in a great conversation to the speaker's corner where it was just oh it felt like i was in a time machine i went back in time yeah 2013 the early days of the new atheist and just those form of them was like oh you guys are so so behind behind the times but part of my what I see as my purpose is updating that. Like yeah. I think by starting history there, I can sort of begin to update the way conversation can take place amongst people of different faith. Yeah, I feel very similarly. I uh, I listen to Peterson when he says that you should figure out what bugs you and then do something about it. And what's always bugged me is uh, first my own materialism and second the that that materialism or reductionism in other people that I really just want to speak to them and just unprogram and just learn with them together. Cause like I, I had to go through this myself as well. I'm still going through it. Um, I think that's a big part of, of what I'm supposed to do. And I don't think we realize that this is like a phase that humanity is going through. Like throughout our human history, we've always been religious and we're religious right now, but we just think we're not. So we adopt cults and, <laughs> that's that's the what you just said there is so important because that's news to a lot of, a lot of people it was news to me yeah to find out that we've like the 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 religious frame the religious the symbolic framing has been the most prevailing frame and this scientific materialistic scientist yes yeah, scientific materialistic framing is very young it's just and we've just adopted it, but also it's been so powerful and so yeah. effective in giving us technological powers that it's difficult to dissuade people of its of the recency bias that we owe towards it. I think it's the the power it yields on Earth that makes it such a powerful thing for us, and I think we put it at the place of God. Like, uh, I think uh, there's a thinker I like, and he he doesn't call it sci- scientistic; he calls it scientism. Um, so. <laughs> So it's like it's like a myth that you adopt. It's your central myth, is is the myth of science, and it's actually an anti myth. Like it's it's completely delusional. It's taking the the map for the territory, and realizing that reality is so much more rich. I think can be very beautiful. So I really want to give that to people 
without seeming like I'm I'm sort sort of some superior person. Like I'm really not. I just found out a little bit earlier, and I'm just trying to give this <laughs> to people. In which way? In which way do you would you want like to give that to people? I um I usually speak to people, figure out how they think about the world, and then I want to challenge them a bit in their in their beliefs. So I've had like multiple very long-winded conversations with people that are a bit closer to me, like I have some level of trust. And then they ask me about my faith, for example, because they're really not used to a Christian, especially in my country, they, they don't exist. And I wear and my... And one this young. <laughs> Sorry. And yeah. one this young. Yeah, they don't understand. Young all... Christian. No, what? I always are wear you, my... Are you <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't exist. So I wear my cross and I get comments about it. And it's kind of one of the reasons I wear it is to get a conversation out of it. It's so that, awesome. that's usually how I do it. And it's like, I, I get people to to hear that that the story is not a science book. Um, you don't, you know, it's not, it's not a biology curriculum that you're reading here. Uh, it goes actually so much deeper than that. And giving them some tools, some online tools can help. And... Yeah, just this going into a dialogue. It, it it really differs per person for me how I how I speak about it. But um, one of one of the things I really enjoyed about your conversation with Karen was you detailing just how easy it is to go up and to be and start a conversation with people because I think that's something that a lot of people, especially my generation, so I can only imagine your generation, yeah. um, are suffering from this anxiety of just speaking to another person it's a it's an actual i think uh one of sadly calls it the intimacy crisis or the, yeah. the a low crisis yeah. which is just the fear the paralysis fear of just going up to someone new and striking up a conversation i think that it's a, a temperamental th- plays a part as well some are more extroverted than others but still there's a real problem with the anxiety that groups people inside a conversation with someone they've never spoken to yeah yeah definitely and I must say for myself like I was always an introverted person I don't I never thought it was easy to speak to people um so I would really encourage people like it's something you can really train and at first it can be overwhelming to speak to someone new and to just like talk to strangers um but the more you do it the more you can see the beauty in it the more you can realize like, wow, this is actually uh, one of the most beautiful things you can do. And I said on, on the podcast then that um, it's some of the most meaningful parts of my life that, that I have these conversations with people. And you just realize how much depth there is to just a single person. And that's true for most all people. Um, if you Especially allow them. If you're, if you're lucky enough that they get to share their story with you. Yeah. You get and- to just it's insane like oh wow there are people living lives very differently to I and it's I think it's a blessing it really is it really is and I've I've heard so many people's life stories because somehow that just happens all the time I'm just in conversation and they just share their entire life story I don't know exactly how that happens but I yeah uh... because pe- people people are uh, people want to be listened to people yeah. want to that relationship to be have someone they can talk to and feel listened to and share share their life with we're, we're communal creatures. Yeah. I think we're realizing that again. Uh, so in many ways, Tayo, this is like, uh, it's really a blessing that we're able to do this. And I, I'm really blessed with this responsibility, I feel. 
to to connect to be a bridge and especially now we're speaking about this just now like agi coming into the mix people really starting to ask these questions like if ai can do this and if ai can do that what is my value and i would love to show people that because they have so much value and i'm really excited to see it unfold um cautiously optimistic as i like to say cautiously optimistic it's a good place to be yeah yeah no absolutely now we've drifted off a bit from uh from your story but i i like the the direction it's gone into we've discussed jordan peterson a bit i wanted to ask you a bit more about him because he is maybe not a person all of us agree with but someone that's so impactful and i was wondering personally for you how has he impacted you and what do you disagree with him on oh that's that's a very good question and it's one that also came up quite a, a few times at the chino conference um i think jordan peterson just jordan peterson is you can't tell the story of this little corner without including the name jordan peterson because one of the most popular uh popular stories you hear is i found jordan and then i found jonathan and then i found yeah but it often starts with jordan peterson and one of the reason personally for me uh i discovered jordan on joe rogan and what attracted me to him was he was at a time where there was the new atheist the sam arises the a lot of inter- intellectual people were very skeptical of religious stuff he took it very seriously like he took those those stories that were important to me as a kid it he, 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 he took them seriously in ways that most intellectuals didn't at the time and he was asking questions that I don't think even pastors were it was it was really them in ways that even pastors weren't able to elicit there like the way he the things he got out out of the Ken and Abel story still amazes me I, I I've used I've used his framing to explain that to kids in Sunday school and kids in youth youth club because it's mm. just so powerful so he's been very important in that sense um but I think you referenced this my introduction to Jordan Peterson was as a self-help guy. I didn't really, I thought that was his main, I thought that was the main thing he had to give. And a lot of my friends, you are more uh, materialist in a way, like they're just looking to gain as much uh, material wealth as they can. Yeah. Use Jordan, this similarly to they use the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books, the uh, just the collection uh 40 laws of power there's a, there's a yeah. section of books that you know you collect when you're a young man trying to, to trying to level up you uh, you go through those those books and jordan played that role so i that's the role i casted him for a, for a long time as okay he's the self-help guy but boy does it have very interesting things to say about religion now i was not lucky enough to discover that he had a biblical series biblical mm-hmm. lecture series I didn't know all of it. I just knew him from my friends as a self-help guy. And I saw him on Rogan and I was like, love what he has to say about religion and especially the stories in the Bible. Um, but Jordan's biggest impact in my life was introducing me to Peugeot because the, I can't explain, generally I physically cannot put into words the impact that 
that com- that one conversation with Peugeot as on my worldview. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I I still can't put it into words. It's a it's a it was a mystical experience, and it lasted for weeks where I was debating with God, so to speak. I just wrestling with God, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do mm-hmm. I, how do I instantiate this in my life? And that was triggered by that com- that one conversation. In terms of the things I disagree with with Jordan, um. I am very much not political and I think Jordan's gone uh, more political. Now, understandably so, because the other side, the the woke side that he's fighting against, I've made his life a living hell. They have attacked him at every turn. So I can understand just the human nature to just want to fight back and push, push back against them. But I find Jordan most helpful when he's talking to deep thinkers, uh, usually uh, not necessarily spiritual. Viveki is one that a deep thinker that's not really preaching religion, uh, but just those type of things that are dealing with the meaning crisis, people that are dealing with uh, the underlying problem of the culture war, rather than fighting the culture war. Yeah. And that's that's the only particular life for Jordan is spend more time dealing with the underlying cause than fighting the culture war. Yeah, I hear you loud and clear. I think a lot of us agree with this assessment. I feel that Jordan, um, it might be his part to play, but he speaks so much about the Bible, about Christ, about being the best person in the best in the best way for your relationship, for the people around you. And I wish he would work more on being more Christ-like himself. But I understand, like you say, this this might be something that he has to do or part of his life, part of his uh, mission. Yeah, that's that's why that's why I even hesitate to sort of offer any criticism towards yeah. him. But I truly one thing that I don't think you can accuse him of being is being insincere. Yeah. Absolutely. I believe that he truly believes that he's fighting are just cause and it's fight that the fact is important. Now I'm not knowledgeable enough to say what is or isn't an important fight. And that's something he's gonna have to answer to God for which fights, which is the one I've got to answer to God for for myself. So I focus on me and figure out which of the fights I need to fight, which one I need not to yeah. fight. And thank like very, very extremely grateful to Jordan for just the way he's changed my life, quite quite frankly. But uh, unfortunately, I think like a lot of people, I've not watched a lot of his content quite recently because of the political. No, it's true. I think it's interesting that sometimes I get in my algorithm, I get people that watch Sam Harris's videos, you know, like little debates. And then sometimes there's a Jordan Peterson clip in there. And the the comments are always very similar. It's like, oh, this guy makes so much sense. He's, He's so he's so strong intellectually, but he has this. He, he can't get rid of his religious tendencies. And I'm like the complete opposite way of thinking about him, you know? It's like, that's his strength. Leaning you know? to the religious tendencies. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's where you shine. Uh, but it's, um, he's a phenomenon. Like, I, I'm glad to to be able to witness this, this really, this event of a man. Phenomenon is, is the right word. He, <sighs> is, a, he is a phenomenon. <laughs> it's crazy. 
I watched them in um, close to here in Rotterdam a couple of months back. And you can really see what impact he has on people. Like it's a fully packed theater he was in and he spoke so, so much beauty into the world. And then it started to get political and you get, you see this little thing go on inside of him, you know, and people love it. They ate it up. Like they, they got like this, you, you felt the spirit of Kane just like emerge inside of the theater. And people were like clapping for the controversial things and, and me, my dad, and my brother were looking at each other like, Shh, this is not... <laughs> That's not the one we came for, yeah. It's, no. it's very interesting. I wonder how much audience capture plays a role because there is a there's a huge segment of his audience that are here for the politic, for the culture war. Yeah. And I'm not again, I'm not completely against fighting culture no. wars. That's, there are some, some, there's a, at some point, everyone has to draw a line and say, okay, this, I'm not going Definitely. this way. Uh, so I'm not against it, but making, I, I think it was doing so much, so much value just bringing up the underlying structure of the culture. Uh, when Paul's pre-20, like 2018 Jordan was phenomenal. At in, even in people that were trying to get him to, into debate, I think of his conversation in the UK on Channel 4 with that woman who was just trying to bait him into all of this cultural war topics. And he yeah. just ran circles around her until she was like, I give up. You were right. You caught me in my own, in my own loop. So I, I, I want more of that Jordan. And yeah. I feel like he's now settled into one side of the cultural war rather than grasping with what's going on here. Yeah. I think he'll get back to it though. I think we all have our warrior phase. And I think that uh, once he gives into a spiritual tradition, I think he'll be humbled and, and he become a bit wiser through it and more love, more love, let's say. Um, I have a, a minute left, so I want to wrap it up for today. But uh, I really enjoyed this. I'd love to speak again. I, uh, I'm very inspired by you. I think that you have so much to give. And I really, really appreciate how much responsibility you take on. I really appreciate the role you play in this little corner and I'm so excited to see it continue. I really want to see you on different channels as well. I loved you on Karen's. I'd, I hope to, uh, to see your return there as well. And that's uh, awesome. Thank you so much. Luke. Thank you for your time today. Again. All right. I'll see you.